Welcome to another revival message from Apostle John Pierre Becker, Senior Pastor of Revival Christian Church, South Africa. If you are in the Pretoria area, come and visit us. So this morning we're starting a new series, The Supernatural Lifestyle. Oh, who's ready to live a life in the supernatural? Not a life of the flesh, but a life of the supernatural. We will become supernaturally natural. The supernatural will look natural when people look at us. It will be like, oh, that's just the way it's supposed to be. Amen? So our first topic as we go into the supernatural lifestyle is supernatural love. Because who knows that we cannot live a supernatural life if we aren't, first of all, baptized in the love of God. We need to be continually filled with the love of God. To be able to live a supernatural lifestyle. So this morning we're going to read together Matthew 22 verse 34 to 40. Matthew 22 verse 34 to 40. So as you all know, I'm a teacher. I'm not a preacher. Pastor always says, I say it, he yells it. So please take notes this morning. If you don't have a pen and paper, take out your phone. Make notes. Because remember the word of God says we need to meditate on the word of God day and night. And then we will make our ways prosperous. So it's dependent on yourself whether you will make your ways prosperous or not. We need to meditate on the word. We need to renew this mind with the word of God. So on a Sunday when you come here, don't just sit and listen to the word. Take notes. Go home. Go study the word. Go check if what we're saying is actually in the word of God. Don't just take everything we say. I mean, I know we, we look as if we know everything, as if we're all there and we've arrived. But we really haven't. We're really also just God's vessels. So go make the word real for yourself. Go study it. Go underline it in your Bible at home. Go read it again. Meditate on it. Read it over and over and over again until it becomes a part of you. That the word will live in you. Amen? Everyone got Matthew 22? Okay, verse 34. Now when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced, muzzled the Sadducees, they gathered together. One of them, a lawyer, an expert in Mosaic law, asked Jesus a question. Now leave it up to the lawyers to ask the questions. To test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied to him, you shall... You all said amen, you have the scripture, so read. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Again, you shall Amen. This is the first and the greatest commandment. Before we do anything else, we have to start with that. We have to love the Lord our God with everything that is within us. The first and the greatest commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. That is, unselfishly seek the best or higher good for others. Isn't that beautiful? That's the Amplified. You shall unselfishly seek the best or higher good 
for others. Is that others your friends? Yeah. Is that others your family? Is that others your husband or your wife? Is that others um, that irritating um, staff member? Is that others your annoying children? They're not annoying. They're cute, man. All of them are cute. Is that others your enemy? Yes. It says your neighbors, all of your neighbors. So whether they are black, pink, purple, yellow, orange, everyone, your neighbors. In other words, to love is a commandment. To love is not a feeling. We've been programmed by society to think that love is a feeling. When really love has got nothing to do with how we feel. Love is a commandment. Whether you feel like it or not, the Lord says love. Love me first of all and then love my people. And if you first of all love the Lord, out of the overflow of your love for God will flow a love for his people. And obviously it will first of all be those closest to you. But then it has to grow. It has to go to the other people as well. To the people you despise. Because that's what the Lord expects of us. The same as unforgiveness. The Lord expects of us to forgive whether we want to or not. Whether you feel like it or not. Whether you feel the person deserves it or not. So whether you feel that person deserves your love or not. You have to love on them. Say, I love you with the love of the Lord. 1 John 4 verse 8 says, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So if you don't know how to love, that means you don't know God yet. You haven't had a supernatural encounter with God yet. Because if you've had encounters with Him, if you've had encounters with His love, you won't be able to resist loving on people. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 1 to 7 in the message translation. I just love this translation. You must hear this. It's beautiful. I, overall, I've got my passion. Passion is beautiful because it just says it passionately. But the message in this one is beautiful. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 1 to 7. If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy but don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. You remember those gates when your granny and grandfather had those iron gates? Steel gates. What? It was, no, it was iron. It wasn't steel. But then it, if, you, if you open it for them to pull in the car, like, that's what you sound like. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all his mysteries and making everything plain as day. And if I have faith that says to a mountain, jump, and it jumps. But I don't love, I'm nothing. Nux. Nada. So you can have the power, you can have the anointing, you can have the grace, you can have everything. But if you don't have love, you are nothing. You are actually irritating. If everything we do is not done out of love, 
we actually irritate people. Have you realized that when you try to win your family for the Lord, they kind of like just get agitated with you? It's because you're not doing it out of love, out of the sincerity of your heart. It's because you just want to tell them to get saved, but you're not loving on them. The Word of God says it's the goodness of God that leads a man to repentance. Not your preaching, not your irritating conviction the whole time, or rather condemnation the whole time. It's the goodness of God. You loving on them no matter what. They can cuss you, they can swear at you, they can push you away, they can do whatever they want to, but you're still going to love on them. Isn't that powerful? So maybe now you'll have a new revelation on how to speak to your family. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burnt as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. I'm still standing at the same place, even though I think I'm so wonderful because I've given everything to the poor. So no matter what I say, what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. <laughs> I mean, that just says it all. I'm bankrupt without his love. None of us want to be bankrupt. All of us want to live in the overflow. How much more in the love of God? As, as supernaturalists, we need to make sure that we are continually baptized in the love of God. That when we talk to people, when we minister to people, that we do it out of the overflow of God's love. We love them because God first loved us. 1 Corinthians 16, 14 says, Let all you do be done in love. Everything we do, test it. Are you doing it out of own selfish motives? Or are you doing it because you really love that person? And even though in that moment they might not experience it as love, because rebuke doesn't feel like love, right, children? Discipline doesn't feel like love. But God says He disciplines the ones He loves. So He disciplines us because He loves us so much and He doesn't want us to fall by the wayside. So if you really love your friends and family and even your enemies, you will discipline them, you will warn them, you will protect them. So even my enemy, if I see my enemy going to the edge of the cliff, I'm going to shout, stop. I'm going to run and try and grab them, even if they're going to try and push me away. Because that's the love God expects us to have for his people. Romans 5 verse 5 says, now hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given unto us. We as believers have no excuse to love. You know, we all can make all these excuses. Yes, but I, I, I never learned how to love. My parents never loved me. I'm an orphan. This excuse, that excuse. But if we look at this portion of scripture, we have no excuse to love God's people. The moment we surrendered our hearts to Jesus Christ, the moment we got baptized with the Holy Spirit, we got filled with the love of God. Our hearts were filled with the love of God. But then time passed by and we allowed the distractions of the enemy, the issues of life, 
to come and steal that love, that compassion we have for people. That's why we have to continually be baptized in the love of God. The problem is with humanity, even with Christian, we are waiting for a feeling in order to love. We are waiting for it to suit me to love. We once again, love is not a suggestion. It's a command. Whether you feel like it or not. Whether you, the person deserves it or not. Amen? 1 John 4, 18. When we take up permanent residence in a life of love. This is the message again. When we take up permanent residence in a life of love. We live in God and God lives in us. So if we are filled with the love of God, we are actually filled with God. God himself is dwelling on the inside of you. This way, love has the run of the house, becomes at home and mature in us. In other words, we grow in love. We mature in love. When we first got saved, we learned how to love God first. And that was a hard one for many of us because we never knew love or we never had a loving father. We couldn't relate to the love of God. So we, we, we stood there for a long time, many of us, and some of us are still there. Some of us are still learning how to love God. And then we grow in this love and God becomes bigger and bigger on the inside of us. And it swells and it swells and it swells until it starts to overflow. And I start to love my family, my friends, my neighbors, my enemies. So we need to understand we need to mature in love, grow in love, so that we are free of worry on judgment day. Our standing in the world is identical with Christ's. There is no room in love for fear. Tell your neighbor there's no fear in love. Well-formed love banishes fear. You need to underline that. Well-formed. In other words, mature love banishes fear. The normal King James I say, says there is no fear in love. So if we are mature in our love, if we know that God loves us with an everlasting love, that there's nothing we can ever do to take away his love, then we have nothing to be afraid of. Nothing. Since fear is crippling, a fearful life, fear of death, fear of judgment, is one not yet fully formed in love. So if there is an area in your life where you are struggling with fear, that means you still need to grow in love. You need to ask God to come and baptize you afresh with his love. With his agape love. So that perfect love can cast out all fear. We struggle to love and even to receive love. Because we base our revelation of love on human philosophy. We base our revelation of love on what the media says love is. We base our revelation on love even on religious thoughts. We think this is the way we're supposed to love. When actual fact, you can only have a revelation of the love of God through an experience with the love of God. 
an experience with the Word of God. Because we experience God by spending time in His Word and growing in His Word. So if we have a revelation of what the Word of God says love is, you can have an experience with His love. But we cannot look to the world to try and determine what love is. The world has polluted the word love. We've made the word love as something natural. I love hamburgers. That's why. I love milkshake. Burger King uh, milk tart milkshake. Oh, I love that. That's how we speak, right? That's not love. That's like. I like Burger King milk tart milkshake. It's really delicious. But the moment I go to Burger King and I order that milk tart milkshake and the milk is a little bit off, I'm going to say I don't love milkshakes anymore. I don't love Burger King's milk tart milkshake anymore, right? So it's based on conditions. But the love of God is not based on any conditions. Whether the milk is off or not, whether they still make it or not, whether a thousand years from now nobody can remember it or not, the love of God is true and it remains forever. It's unconditional. Hallelujah. How does the Bible tell us to love? Let's look at 1 Corinthians 13 verse, verse 8. 1 Corinthians 13 verse 8. Love is long-suffering. So just there already, we can make a determination that love has got nothing to do with me. It's long-suffering. So we all say, I'm in this relationship and I've been suffering for so many years, Pastor. Oh, shame. And we all go, oh, shame. But what? Love is long-suffering. So even though you suffer, you still choose to love. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not parade itself. So once again, it's not about you. It's not puffed up. Does not behave rudely. Does not seek its own. It's not provoked. So you can try to provoke me to lose it with you. But I'm not going to. Because I love you. It thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity. But rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. And it endures all things. Love never fails. When it all comes down to the drawing board, love never fails. If we will just go back to love. A beautiful picture of the love of God is if we have a look at the prodigal son. He was all puffed up. He thought he deserved his inheritance. He went and he had to go and eat with the pigs in order to come to his senses. He disappointed his father. How many have disappointed God? I'm first to raise my hand. I do it still. Every day I have to repent. He disappointed his father. 
He threw everything his father did for him, paid a high price for him, labored for him in his father's face. Like that. But when he came back, his father ran when he saw him from afar. He ran to meet him and he grabbed him and he embraced him and he loved him and he restored his authority as a son. But when people who have hurt us, if we see them from afar, we're like, I didn't see you, I didn't see you. Because we're supposed to be filled with the love of God. We're supposed to love God and love His people the same way He loves us. So that means the same grace, love, and affection He extends to me, I should extend to that brother or that sister. Mania. It's all about me. You guys know I like to sing that song. It's all about me, Jesus. It's all about me. I can have things my way. It's not about you. I'm sorry. I know it hurts to hear it. I know we like things to be all about us. And we like to feel special and important. But it's not about you. It's about walking in obedience to the commandments of God. Not about how you feel. You know, there's no feelings in heaven. Do you know that? Just a little nugget for you. So when I can do all these things in spite of my feelings, regardless of another person's actions, then I really have love. Love lays down its life. Those natural reactions and demands that are a part of human nature and expects nothing in return. So I'm going to love on you no matter if you're going to give me a gift for my birthday or not. Because you know some of us are like that. Like a month before your birthday, you really start loving on your parents. Like, oh, mommy, I love you so much. And oh, you're the best thing Oh, daddy, oh, I just want to love you, daddy. And oh, you're so wonderful. And I've got the best parents. And you speak well of them in front of, of them by other people so that they can hear it. So you can get points. But that's not love. That's selfish. It's all about you. John 15 verse 13. Greater love has no man than this. To lay down his life for another. Does it say lay down his life just for his family? Just for the ones who love him back? No, for another. Anyone. We have to love like Jesus loved. And Jesus paid the ultimate price. You know, he loved us before we even loved ourselves. He loved us so much that he died on the cross of Calvary for us, even while we were still sinners. While he was hanging on this cross, he was thinking about you. That's how much he loves us. What if someone has treated me badly? Where's my love then? What do I do? Because at the end of the day, love gives. Jesus gave his life. On the cross of Calvary. 
If I am a child of God, I have the nature of God. I don't have the nature of the enemy according to John 10 verse 10 that comes to steal, kill and destroy. I have the nature of God in uh, John 3.16 which says, For God so loved the world that He gave. So if I have His nature, I will give love no matter what. Matthew 5.44-45 But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. No, we want revenge. That you may be sons of your Father in heaven. To be a son is to be a mature, full-grown child. So if I cannot pray for my enemies, if I cannot bless my enemies, that means I am still here. I haven't matured in my love. I am not a son, a huios of God yet. I'm still a child. I'm still on the milk of God's word. But I need to mature in love through experiences with the love of God until I get to this place where I can start eating the meat of God's word, where I have revelation of the love of God and where I can show it forth to others, show forth the character of God to others. Everyone I meet should encounter Jesus. When they come into my presence, they should encounter the love of Jesus. But the world doesn't want to serve Jesus because they look at the Christians and they say they're so rude. They're so selfish. They hate each other. They're impatient. But what does 1 Corinthians 13 say? Love is kind. Love is not irritable. Oh, but you come here on a Sunday morning and you see some Christians be irritable with their brothers and sisters. That's not love. We should be loving our brothers and sisters first of all. We should look like love. Because the Bible says, you shall know them by their love for one another. You shall know that they are my disciples when you look at them and you see how they love each other. But the world looks at us and they don't see disciples of Jesus. Sometimes we look worse than the world. The way we talk about our brothers and sisters behind their backs. Oh Lord Jesus help us. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. And now abide faith, hope, love. These three. But the greatest of them all is love. You know we can hear this message but I really want you to do retrospection this morning. To ask yourself, do you really love God? Are you really filled with the love of God? Because if you are really filled with the love of God, you will have the capacity to love His people out of the overflow. But you see, we are running low. We're running on the fumes of yesterday. Where every day we need fresh encounters with His love. Every day. Living a supernatural life is all about loving God and loving people. That's our motto as Christians. Loving God, loving people. Loving God, loving people. But it has to start with loving God. The devil keeps us so busy that we don't have time to spend with God. We're too tired to spend time with God. 
That's why our relationships are in such a mess. Because we're not loving God. We're not spending time in His presence. We're not allowing Him to baptize us in His love. I cannot love my family with a natural kind of love. I said to the Centurion campus this morning, when I was in the world, and I was dating in the world, I remember I was always so full of fear. You know, when is this boyfriend going to cheat on me? When is he going to dump me? You know, we all have our past experiences and we, we live our lives according to the experiences of the past. But now that I'm saved, now that I have the love of God on the inside of me and I love my husband with the love of God, not just with a sexual kind of love, I have no fear. None whatsoever. My husband travels all over the world and sometimes alone. I don't always get to go with him. I'm not worried all the time. Where is he? What's he doing? Phoning him the whole time. Worried. When is he going to cheat on me? When is he going to leave me? When am I going to be the, the dripping wife that just moans and complains and he's going to be tired of me? Because I can get like that. He's the, he's the supernatural faith one. I'm the one still maturing in my faith. But I don't fear. Some days we don't even talk to each other. And I'm like, oh, he didn't find me today. I wonder why not. I am really not bothered. He gets home and we chat and we just go on. I don't fear what's going to happen to my children. You know, I started this whole new homeschooling journey. And some days it can kind of get to you because it's really a life of faith. Especially the specific journey that I'm on now. But I don't fear my children's future. I don't fear what's going to happen to them. I sometimes wonder if I made the right choice. But I don't fear that at the end of the day, their lives are in God's control. They are His children. I am just His vessel. He's just using me. So they're going to get there. One way or another. They're going to get there. The Lord's just busy with me. Amen. So I've grown in my love. I've grown to love that there is no fear. I had this repetition that I always said to myself when I was younger. I said to Marty in the car, I can't remember what it was. I think it was something simple. I don't know, maybe you can remember. Somewhere in my life, there was something that I was scared of. But you see, I've grown so much in love that I can't even remember what it was. I think it was the dark. But I don't know. I don't think it was. I don't know. But I had this repetition that I always said to myself, because how do we overcome the enemy? We fight with a sword. The word, of our, the word of our testimony and by the blood of the Lamb. So we quote scripture. We fight with a sword. And I would repeat this thing to myself over and over. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. God is love. I am, God is in me. I'm a child of God. Therefore, there can be no fear in operation in my life. So I've grown in my love. I don't fear. I really don't. Honestly, I don't. <laughs> Sometimes I might fear success, but that's a... So if we're talking about love, we need to understand that the Bible talks about four different definitions of love. So when you read the word love in the English Bible, there are four different Greek definitions for the word love. Let's take a look at the first one. 
First one is philia. P-H-I-L-E-A, for those of you writing down. To have a special interest in someone or something, frequently with focus on close association, have affection for, like consider someone a friend. That's the philia type of love. That's the type of love you have for that person sitting right next to you. This is the natural human type of love and affection, the brotherly love. I love you with the love of the Lord, brotherly love. John 13, 55, that's where it says, By this shall you know that they are my disciples, for their love for one another. That's that kind of love. Then we have a look at John 21. Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. And we think, why is the Lord asking him three times, does he love him? He said yes in the beginning. Why do you continue to ask? Because he answered, yes, Lord, I love you with the filio type of love. I love you with the brotherly type of love. You're my friend. So he had no revelation yet of the agape love of God. And Jesus asked him again, but do you love me? And again, he said, Yes, Lord, with a filio type of love. And then he asked him, Peter, do you love me? And he said, yes, my Lord. I love you with the agape kind of love. And Jesus said, upon that rock, I will build my church. The rock of revelation of the love of God. The supernatural, unconditional love of God. Then we have the eros type of love. That refers to sexual erotic love or desire, which takes place within marriage. Sexual desire in marriage. If it's outside of marriage, it is not blessed. It's not love, actually. If it's outside of marriage, that is just lust. It's ugly, it's perverted. Inside of marriage... It's beautiful. Have you ever read Songs of Solomon? That is the Eros type of love in Songs of Solomon. Husbands, maybe you need to start reading Songs of Solomon to your wives. It'll be beautiful, I promise you. Then there's the Storgo love, which is spelled Storge. S-T-O-R-G-E. It's the love and affection that naturally occurs between parents and children. It can exist between siblings and it exists between husband and wife in a good marriage where we love each other, like really love each other, not just for what you're going to give me. So there will be Eros and there will be Storgo. It occurs in Romans 12 verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection as members of one family, giving precedence and showing honor to one another. Then we have the agape kind of love. The supernatural, unconditional love of God. It surpasses human wisdom. It is sovereign. Nothing we can do can make God love us more. Nothing we can do can make God love us less. It is a sovereign love. It is unconditional and it's self-sustaining. 
This special type of love, whether exercised toward the brethren or toward men generally, is not an impulse from the feelings. This is according to the Vine's Complete Expository Dictionary of the Old and the New Testament. It does not always run with the natural inclinations. So it's got nothing to do with the natural. Nor does it spend itself only upon those for whom some affinity is discovered. So it's not just for those who I feel something for. It's for everyone. This kind of love is best expressed in Jesus' statement in John 15 verse 13. Greater love has no man than this, than to lay down his life for another. So I lay down my life for you, whether I feel like it or not, because it is a commandment from God. God commands me to love you with the agape kind of love. The point is, agape love is not simply an impulse generated by feelings. Rather, agape love is an exercise of the will, a deliberate choice. Love is a choice. Tell your neighbor. Tell your other neighbor. It's a choice you make every day. You choose to act in love. You choose to obey God. John 14, 21. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. So if we don't obey God's commands, which is the greatest one, to love God, secondly, to love his people. If I am not doing that, I don't love God. I doubt your Christianity if you don't know how to love people. We like to seclude ourselves. We like to put ourselves in, in isolation, away from the fellowship of the saints. But that's not what we were called to do. We were called to love God, be there, receive from God, but get out and go and love on God's people. Don't stay there. Our love for God is evident in our obedience toward Him and His Word. If you really love, you do. Jesus was moved with compassion. He was moved with love. He did not just see the people and his heart broke for them and he said, oh, shame. No, he went to the cross of Calvary and he died on that cross for the people. And we should have that same love. I see my brother or sister hurting and I will do whatever it takes to help them. No, but you know, I have to get up early tomorrow morning. Um, Adrian, I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry that your baby is sick and you don't have transport. You know, just, we'll pray for you. One John 5, 3, for the true love of God is this, that we do his commands, keep his ordinances and are mindful of his precepts and teaching. And these orders of his are not irksome, burdensome, oppressive or grieving. It is not a burden to obey God. 
It is not a burden to love according to the word of God. It is not a burden to bring our tithes and offerings to the house of God. It is not a burden to win souls. It is not a burden to make disciples. It is not a burden to not neglect the fellowship of the saints and come to church whenever there's a gathering. It becomes a burden because you have neglected your time with God. You are not continually filled with the love of God. Then it all becomes a burden. Oh no, I, I don't feel like going to church. Oh no, not hop as well. I've already been to church on Sunday. Why do I have to go on a Wednesday? Please just don't ask me to serve. I do enough for God. If you are baptized in the love of God, nothing is too much for you. You will be the one running to us saying, Pastor Pinky, can I join the intercession team? Pastor Tabu, I have to be at the Super Soul winning Saturday on Saturday. Adrian, I have to join the band. Pastor Amanda, I have to join the ushering team. And then I'm going to have to say just, whoa. You can't do everything at once. That's what the love of God looks like. John 14, 24. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. Aina, ouch. So we don't love God if we don't obey him. For God so loved the world that he gave. Love gives. Love does. Love reacts. And then the most beautiful part of it all is that while we were sinners, while we were thieves, while we were slanderers, while we were prostitutes, while we were drunkards, while we were adulterous, why we were into idolatry, why we rejected God, He loved us so much that He paid the price on the cross of Calvary for us. He went to that cross. He endured the greatest pain man has ever endured. And while going through it all, you were on his mind. Just think about that for a moment. We didn't deserve his love. We don't deserve his love. Today, I don't deserve his love. Today, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. Today, I disappointed my God. I'm saved. I'm sanctified. I'm filled with the blood of Jesus. But I fail him. I disappoint him. But still, I was on his mind on that cross. He thought of me. And I don't know about you, but I'm just so thankful. During the week, I was reading Psalm, I think it's 159. I could be wrong, but somewhere there. And I just had such an encounter with his love. I was just so thankful. I was saying, Lord, I was a sinner. I was bad. But you saved me out of that all. Where would I have been today if it had not been for your grace? Where would I have been 
if you didn't save me, if you didn't come to my rescue. But you see, as Christians, we become complacent. We make Christianity a game. We play church on Sundays. We get so used to the motions. You know, I go to church on Sunday, I raise my hands in worship, I sing a song, sing a song, and I listen to the word, and maybe I respond, maybe I come to the front, but I walk out of here. And I had no experience. I go home the whole week. I just go through life, and I have no time for God. I have no time for His people. His people irritate me. But we need to get back to that place where we are just so thankful. So thankful that He saved us. And realize it could have been so different. And then extend that same grace to our brothers and sisters, to our enemies. Because they do not know. Jesus said, forgive them, Father, because they do not know what they are doing. Our fight is not against flesh and blood. It's against powers and principalities of darkness. We have to be the light. We have to make a difference. We have to go with the love of God. Let everything be done in love. So there where you are, don't you just want to stand to your feet? If you guys can please just dim the lights for us. And I want you there where you are. As I'm about, I'm going to read you a portion of scripture. And while I read it, I want you to have an encounter with His love. Just love on Him. Just appreciate Him. Just get back to that place of thankfulness. That He saved you. He saved you. You could have been somewhere in a rehab. You could have been sleeping under a bridge somewhere. You could have been dead. You could have been in the ICU right now. With no hope. Doctors saying to your family they need to make a decision. That could have been you right now. But you are here this morning. And you are so privileged to be able to be here and to be able to experience Him. Don't let this moment pass you by. Get serious with God this morning. Forget about your neighbor. This has got absolutely nothing to do with them. Whether they participate or not, doesn't matter. This is for you. We need an encounter with the love of God. Romans 8, 31 to 39. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ died for us and was raised to life for us. And he is seated in the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. Right now he is there in heaven 
and He is making intercession on our behalf. Even though we fail Him, even though He already paid the ultimate price, He is still making intercession on our behalf. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean He no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing, absolutely nothing, can ever separate us from the love of God. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing Nothing, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. There we are, just worship Him for His love. Just appreciate Him that nothing can ever separate you from His love. Let's worship Him. transformed. For more great content and updates in the Apostle, please go to our social media platform.